You are on trend with the Alumni Trending Podcast. Welcome to the Alumni Trending Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Clifford. Joining me today is Mike Worley, the Vice President for Advancement and Executive Director of the Lander University Foundation. Today, we'll talk about Mike's career in higher education, from his beginnings at Ohio University at their Alumni Association, to stops at Washington University in St. Louis, East Carolina University, and today where he is the Vice President of Advancement at Lander University. The Alumni Trending Podcast is a podcast for advancement professionals by advancement professionals. On Trending, you can expect to hear the voices leading our profession, advancing our institutions, and keeping higher education strong all around the world. Here's my interview with Mike Worley. I'm excited to welcome my good friend, Mike Worley, to the Alumni Trending Podcast. Welcome, Mike. Well, Paul, it's, it's, great to, it's great to hear from you. Let's start right at the very beginning. Talk about your career and how you got started in higher education advancement. So, you know, it's interesting because when I first got into the business, you know, it's funny to look back on it 20, 25 years ago because the, it was really a graveyard for ex-coaches and deans at some institutions, including mine. You know, that's a great idea, right? Put your, put your ex-coach that you fired or your dean that you've eliminated their contract in front of a bunch of alumni. Probably, probably not a great plan. Mike, but before you got into this, weren't you a coach? Yes, but I didn't make that move for that reason. Uh, great question. So, um, you know, I, I started my career uh, coaching at Ohio University uh, and, and ended up getting into other uh, areas of the athletic department. Eventually, I uh, found out about these uh, advancement people that I was seeing on game days um, during football season and started inquiring more and learning more about the business and actually started doing a little bit in our athletics area with that endeavor, ultimately uh, taking a job in the Alumni Association at Ohio University. I was blessed to um, have a a very good first boss there, Ralph Amos, who really taught the business from a a, uh, global perspective. So I learned all pieces and parts of the business back then. It really laid, um, pun intended, it really laid a great foundation for you know, my, my career in, in the future. But it, it's funny now, as you know, Paul, that there's yeah. all these programs scattered throughout the country and um, different uh, universities for nonprofit certificates and nonprofit programs, you know, master's degrees in, in philanthropy. And so I think in 2010, when I was at Washington University, I was, that was where I hired my first academically trained uh, uh, advancement person. You know, there's not that natural pipeline. There have been programs that have popped up. I think of the the program at Indiana and the program at Vanderbilt, and yet um, it's still a securitous route to this. Uh, the other reaction that I would have is there's probably no better teacher of the big picture of higher education advancement than Ralph Amos. That's right, and I, you know, and like I said, I, I was blessed to have him as a first as a first boss in the business, as well as, you know, our vice president at the time, Leonard Rayleigh, who also thought a lot like Ralph and certainly echoed everything um, from the vice president role that Ralph did. So, you know, I was really lucky to to have that. But just in terms of the uh, securitist route, and I, you know, I think 
development and alumni relations and, and all the other pieces and parts have grown so much over the past couple decades. I just don't think that the staffing has been able to keep up. Let's talk a little bit about your career progression, right? And certainly the one of the reasons staffing hasn't been able to keep up is because staff members get great experience and then they, from time to time, move on to other situations, which is certainly what you did throughout your career. Uh, you started off in alumni relations at Ohio. How did you get to be a vice president for advancement at Lander University? You know, the funny thing is that um, I wanted to be a vice president. At some point early on in my career, I'd, I made that decision that that was a that was a goal that I had. I wasn't trying to get there tomorrow, but it was definitely a long-term uh, goal that I had. I was looking around the country at different vice presidents and had a couple mentors and so forth. And one of the things that I found was that all the vice presidents in the country, very few of them came up through the alumni relations ranks. They all came up through fundraising for the most part. There were a few alumni people here and there, or there were alumni people that later got fundraising experience. And there, there were a, a handful of marketing and communication folks as well. So when I saw that, I thought, hey, I need to get, I, I did have fundraising experience at the time, but I needed to get full-time fundraising experience. So that was when I um, left Ohio University and went to Washington University to hone my fundraising skills. And, uh, you know, and, and, and and, and candidly, I, I really do like that side of the business where it is it is a black and white. Here are your goals. Did you achieve your goals or not? There's not the you know the any of the gray area that sometimes can come along with other parts of our our business. So um, very very great time at, at Washington University, and and then uh, later where where we cemented our relationship, if you will, at East Carolina. Had a right. had a great time there working with you there. And, and matter of fact, I really liked East Carolina. I liked everywhere I worked, but I really liked East Carolina and, and certainly would probably still be there had it not been for, for WashU um, calling me back for a great opportunity to return there, you know, further hone fundraising skills and management skills at that time because it was a more for management position. And, um, you know, from there, I decided to venture out into uh, uh, to lead the national efforts for a children's hospital uh, in St. Louis, which ultimately turned into a consulting job. And then that, and then I landed back in Georgia State as the number two there in charge of uh, fundraising right. um, and finishing out the capital campaign there. You know, it's funny because our business is about relationships, but then relationships are about where we end up too, right? So, um, you know, I, w- I had no interest in leaving Georgia State and uh, candidly. And um, I had... Um, a friend who I've known for you know 15 years as, as a, a executive search firm called me and you know asked me about interviewing for a job and uh, it's something that I was uh, again uh, not terribly interested in at, at the at the forefront. But as I learned more about it and the skill sets that were needed in this particular job as a as a vice president at Lander University, that I thought this is a really great fit, you know. And so and I have some roots in South Carolina, so I was like, hey, I'm gonna throw my uh, hat in the ring and. Next thing I know, I was I was uh, moving to Greenwood, South Carolina. Well, you know, I think it was Jerry Garcia and the Grateful Dead who said, "What a long, strange trip it's been." And I think that could be applied to your career, not only in terms of the different stops and the varied experiences from alumni relations to development to the healthcare industry to consulting, and now back into higher ed fundraising. But but even all, all along now throughout your career. 
the industry has changed. And so talk about what some of the biggest changes are in the business since the time you got into it till today. Yeah. And you know, it's been, it's been really good. I've been really lucky and, and I've been uh, mostly blessed to have uh, great bosses. Um, and um, you know, and I love, and as you know, and I love to build things and I love to fix things. So those, those certain things and, and like Lander who's not had a long history of fundraising, you know, certainly, certainly uh, attracted me. I was going to say sucked me in and it did. Um, by the way, any podcast that you can mention, Jerry Garcia probably automatically throws you right into number one position. <laughs> <laughs> That's certainly the goal here on alumni trending. If I can shift your question a little bit and say what's been interesting and I, and I'll go back to 2008 and which we're probably going to reference again at some point here in this conversation, but you know, in 2008, when we had the downturn, we had a unique thing happen probably for the first time in our industry um, where, you know, that kind of hit. And then secondly, um, and probably more importantly, in 2000, so in 2008, everybody shut down their campaigns, put their campaigns on hold and, and did those kinds of things to slow things down and, and take a deep breath. Well, you know, and that wasn't just higher ed. Those were hospitals. Those were zoos. Those were museums. Everybody did. But you also, more uniquely, and even different than 9-11, I'd say, in 2010, when we came out of it, everybody at the same time opened the faucet and started hiring people. I mean, there were institutions that were literally hiring 200 fundraisers, opening up offices across the country. And there were, you know, even at my institution at the time, I, I think we went to, we, you know, in the next 18 months, we hired over a hundred people. So they were growing exponentially, but I asked the question, where were all these people coming from that they were hiring? So right. everybody turned on their campaign at once and everybody started hiring at once. And they were hiring a lot of folks without, you know, uh, advancement backgrounds and not, not that there's anything wrong with that, but making sure that they get the right training. You know, I think different than when you and I came into the business, one of the differences is, you know, like we said earlier, uh, with Ralph, I, I got a global view of the world and I learned all parts of the business and I learned how they fit together. And I think that, you know, and I call it, if you want to use a baseball analogy, I call it starting pitcher, middle inning pitcher and closing pitcher. You know, when we were kids, you know, you didn't see a lot of that. It was, it was, you know, maybe starting and closing pitcher and that was it. So now there's all these specialties and, and that's okay. And that's good. But I don't think that everybody's learning the business. And what, what's a little bit scary to me is that I, I'm now seeing people roll into vice president positions and leadership positions at different places that kind of came up through that have been in the business 10 years and kind of came up through this this generation of being a little bit more one dimensional in their approach. So I, I do worry a little bit about how all that fits together, but nonetheless, I, I think that's been interesting to watch for the last few years and it, and it will continue to be interesting because I still, you know, I still think that we hadn't recovered before this downturn we're in now, we hadn't really recovered from the last one in terms of staffing. And I, you know, I've talked to several colleagues across the country who I think, you know, including yourself and, others um, in different parts of the country as well that, you know, really have a hard time finding good people for our business. Yeah. You know, I think back on my own career, Mike, and I think the um, our initial experiences are very similar and uh, not very similar institutions. They were smaller shops. I had James Madison, you at Ohio University, 
probably seven to 10 staff members at the time on, on each of those staffs. And so the requirements to know more about not only the alumni shop, but the greater um, advancement operation that we were part of was, was critical to survival, right? And, and I think as you just talked about the boom that we had in terms of hiring in, in 2010, um, aligned with that boom was a more specialized workforce, right? I mean, people being more like highly, highly focused on um, specific tasks within higher education advancement or within development or alumni relations um, as such that they kind of probably weren't aware or didn't need to know the kind of global big picture um, like we did when we first came into the, into the business. I, I agree a hundred percent. Now, do we sound like two old guys talking about, we had to walk uphill both ways to school in the snow? I think a little bit. I I think we're definitely going to come across that way, but, but let's be honest. That's exactly who we are too. Right. No, I am a change agent. A question that I would ask to somewhat of your vintage. Uh, what is some advice that you would give to a younger professional now just coming into higher education advancement? Well, you know, a couple things. Um, and I, I, you know, I, I think I'd probably echo your sentiments as well, but you know, to get involved with, with case or, or, um, whatever professional organization that, that best fits you, because that's a great way to network. And, and it's one of the, the things I, I wouldn't say attracted me to, to me to this business, but certainly kept me involved early on was like, Hey, I can call, I can call actually the university of Michigan and say, how do you do this? And they'll send me their, their plan. Um, that was very attractive to me. And it obviously helps you solve a lot of problems very quickly. I shouldn't do that all the time, but you know, it's certainly a, a great thing. Um, but to get involved and give back to our profession the way that that we're supposed to that we're asking our alumni to give back, um, that would be one thing. And, and then I would I would go back to the earlier part of our conversation about learning the business, you know, and not you know whether your area is plan giving or whether your area is alumni chapters or whether your area is the leadership annual gifts, but that you're learning all the parts of the business because if you do have um, a goal to be, you know, in a leadership role someday, all those things are going to come into play and you, and is extremely helpful to know how to do those things. You know, um, while we were talking about how old we were um, or are, I, you know, I still know how, you know, I still know how to run Razor's Edge and, you know, and I'm not dinging some of my colleagues, but some of them, don't, you know, forgot how to do that a long time ago. So, you know, coming to this job, that was paramount for my success to be able to to be able to know how to manipulate and run and, and um, that that database. So let's let's switch gears a second here. For those folks who might not be familiar with Lander University or with your the Lander Foundation of which you are uh, provide leadership to. Talk a little bit about your structure, about your program, number of alumni that you serve, uh, number of staff on your team. Kind of take us through the nuts and bolts of your operation. Sure, I'll do that uh, quickly. You know, it's it's an interesting thing in the Southeast. The Georgia and North Carolina and South Carolina state systems have the, and we didn't have this in Ohio where I grew up, they have these state schools that are that are purposely designed to be small. And uh, Lander is a state school, uh, about 3,500 students, a liberal arts school. And uh, we have about 19,000 alumni. Well, today, depending on the markets today, about $15 million in, in our foundation. And we're, 
you know, we're, when I, when I arrived here, we were about a million dollar a year shop with, um, with, uh, about five people. We've increased that to seven and, uh, we've, uh, set a record breaking fundraising year last year with, um, a little over 3 million in, and we were well on our way to do that this year, but we're just going to be a little bit under that, I think, um, with the last few months or last few days, uh, remaining here in our, in our fiscal year that ends June 30th. But it's, you know, everybody here has to do, you know, has to do different roles, whether it's the alumni association, whether it's uh, fundraising, annual fund, database management, a little bit, a little bit of that and everything. I can, I know that I, I told my colleagues that they had to enter a new address into Razor's Edge, that they would be at a loss how to do that. <laughs> so Mike, you know, thinking of the institutions that you've been at, um, whether it's East Carolina or Ohio University, um, certainly an elite private institution like Wash U in St. Louis or a large public institution like Georgia State, Lander seems to be a sharp contrast to that. So talk about, you know, it's the first time you've been a vice president. Was there a learning curve? Kind of what what surprised you the most about um, about coming to Lander and to, and to this opportunity? Well, I wish there was a, a more uh, sexy answer to give you, but at the end of the day, um, you know, there is, I shared with you in our one-on-one conversations, you know, this is really a unique find in that it's, it's a new shop. And um, there, there, there has been alumni relations here over the years and there has been maybe a little bit of fundraising, but it was more of a, it was kind of more of a marketing and communications type place. And, and so really instituting a culture of philanthropy and then going back to the nuts and bolts of things of instituting an annual fund, uh, plan giving, major gifts, our database um, couldn't have been any more uh, 1992. So we, we had to bring our database up to uh, current day. Um, and, you know, there's just, again, just a lot of nuts and bolts types of things. I, like I said, I wish there was a more sexy answer to give you in terms of uh, institutional uh, success and advancement, uh, cutting edge stuff. But we were really kind of um, in a place where we're bringing us up to speed. Now that being said, you know, with the COVID nineteen hitting, we were able, we were able to be very very nimble uh, in what we did. And whereas I think of some of the things which I'm sure we'll talk about in a few minutes, but I think about some of the things that we launched during COVID nineteen, and I think about some not to say that they're bad, but some of the structures that I've worked within within larger institutions, I'd have still been waiting to get the okay to do those things. Um, so here I was able to pull the trigger. We were able to move very quickly and get get some stuff up and running. Yeah, you know, you and I talk, and we often talk about opportunities that are in front of us, right? And so, as you th- and this is the it's the alumni trending podcast, right? So, what's trending for you right now? What are the what are the big opportunities that you see on your plate at Lander? I wish I had a crystal ball because then I, I would say, hey, what does next fall look like? What does next winter look like? You know, I would say one of the beautiful things about this place is that they that we weren't ensconced with a lot of the large sacred cows. We've been doing it this way for 50 years because we weren't doing anything so that, you know, we were able to put some pretty meaningful and dynamic programs into place very quickly um, and not cut anything. But that being said, I, I you know, again, the, the trending part is what does next fall look like? If we had traditionally done an event with a professor at, at our center in Greenville and we had 100 people there. Does that mean we're capping it off this year at 50? 
And are we wearing masks and social distancing? And then if, if that is the case, how do we backfill that with other engagement opportunities that might not be in person? Obviously, like like many institutions, we've been doing a thousand of those recently. But, you know, I worry about burnout. Um, I, you know, I, I hate to do a survey of one, but right now, if you email me and tell me you want to do that, if you email me and tell me you want to do a podcast or a, uh, <laughs> <That's all right. laughs> if you want to do, sorry, if you want to do a zoom right now, I'm like, oh, you're killing me. Um, you know, I'm, I'm still, even today, um, I'm still doing three or four zoom calls a day. And, um, you know, it's, it's gotten to the point where I, that's not what I want to do when I go home at night. And so that that worries me a little bit about alumni programming next fall. And again, I'm not the audience, but I, you know, I'm starting to see our numbers trail off a little bit as to what they were. Yeah, you know, the the way that I've been thinking about this is that, you know, people talk about, boy, I can't wait to get back to normal, right? We're never going back to normal. Uh and 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 so one of the things that I've been thinking about is and and I'll use your example, right? You go to the Greenville Center and uh, you have 50 people in the room. Well, now I think one of the lessons COVID-19 has taught us is that, you know, you can bring more than 50 people to that event using technology, right? So um, so put burnout, put burnout to the side for a second um, and actually put it in the context of um, how does the, how can we open this story up to more people? Uh, I think technology now becomes kind of the first question. I'm, I've, I want to be clear. I'm not looking to eliminate face-to-face events. I don't think you can duplicate the intimacy, um, the connections that you make when you're, when you're face-to-face, but you certainly have the opportunity to bring a lot more people with you utilizing technology. And so I think that's actually one of the great outcomes and one of the huge opportunities in front of us is how do we we have a digital first or a technology first mindset, even when it comes to face-to-face events. I think you're, I think you're spot on. And I think, I think that is going to be part of our lives from now on. I mean, you just think about before this happened, how many people actually did zoom calls and, uh, you know, and those types of things. And now everybody's fluent in it and it doesn't matter if it's zoom or teams or WebEx They, you know, most folks know what's going on now. So it's, it's a, it'll, it will be very interesting next fall. And it's a super, super point. And, um, you know, I think, um, you know, I, you know, from a board perspective, which you and I haven't talked about, I think, you know, that's going to be interesting too, because, uh, you know, I, am not sure, I'm not sure my out of town people are ever going to come back to a board meeting again. Uh, and I don't blame them because they're going to be able to zoom where we just did teleconference before. And, and, you know, and I think, um, you know, all of our board meetings probably from now on out will be, you know, will be zoom meetings. Yeah. You know, I, I think humans by nature are social beings. And so while I do think we'll utilize zoom and, um, and kind of the virtual opportunities, I, I do think that, um, people will miss that personal connection and will want to be, uh, want to get into a room and roll up their sleeves together from time to time. So I think we'll, we'll find a healthier balance. I, you know, one of the things that I, I think the fluency that we have built up with technology, uh, during COVID-19 and yes, I do think burnout is a real thing. Um, but I think it's a real thing because we don't have other options. Once we have other options like face-to-face opportunities, um, I think people will be more comfortable saying, you know what, I'm not going to go to that Greenville event, but I'm going to zoom in because I'm really fascinated to hear 
what that uh, what that faculty member is is going to say or what their take on it's going to be. And so um, and so, yeah, I think that there's, you know, certainly um, certainly the world that we are um, moving into won't be won't be going back to anything. But, you know, to use the cliche new normal, uh, I think that's actually uh, a good direction for us to be going in. All right. So, Mike, uh, switching gears a little bit, you've also been very active within our profession um, and staying involved, whether it's through CASE or other professional organizations. Talk a little bit about um, giving back to our profession. Going back to Ralph Amos, I, w- I started and immediately went to a CASE conference. I came back and I shared something with him that I thought was, I wasn't complaining, but I said, I, I think I even used the term, well, that was interesting. And he said, well, if you don't like it, you should fix it. So uh, the next year I was on the, on the case committee, the case five committee. So, you know, intrinsically for me, it's great. I mean, I feel really good to talk to my colleagues about what they're doing and the most effective ways to find, you know, to engage our populations. And that's, you know, that's very rewarding for me. I think it's a good demonstration. You know, we, we talk to our alumni about giving back all the time. And I, you know, I think we should be giving back to our profession all, all truth be told, I want to do that. You know, I want to, I want to, I want to inspire these young people. So when they're in a position to hire me, when I'm old, they'll do that. <laughs> you know, you keep referencing Ralph Amos, uh, in my career, that guy was John Fudo. Um, and one of the things that John said to me that has stuck with me my entire career, um, was, you know, I asked him, you know, how can I pay you back? You've been, you've been such a great mentor to me. Don't, don't say this. I'm going to have to pay Ralph back. <laughs> how can I, how can I ever pay you back? Well, Ralph could take a lesson here because, because okay. John's advice to me was, um, do what I've done for you for other people. Oh, that's great. And so whether it's kind of, I, I've taken that in a number of directions, whether it's mentoring others or whether it's giving back to the profession. Uh, but I really think that's, um, that's what Ralph is telling you to do is I think the, the best way that you could pay him back is by continuing to be involved with case and the other aspects of professional development and kind of cultivating the next generation of professionals. Yeah. And, and I do, I do enjoy that. And it's, um, again, it's been very rewarding to me and, and I, I would encourage others even, you know, it's, and it's never too late, you know, even if you are 40, you know, get involved. <laughs> Yeah, forty is is forty the line yeah, of demarcation. Forty, forty ish, forty ish. Yeah, you re- you remember what that was like, uh, right? Trying to. All right, now that I've just uh, made fun of you <laughs> uh, on the alumni trending podcast, the guests get the final word. And so, Mike, what's your final word on the the state of the profession and our future? In terms of the state of the profession, I, I think you know it's I, I love it because it's growing and it's growing every day. If you look back at our last you know few years that we've been in the profession or a few decades, whatever it is, you know it, it, it's grown so much. Not only just in in the people, but just the changes that we've made for you know, in higher education for our respective institutions in terms of engagement, in terms of fundraising, and, you know, and, and, and as I said earlier, you know, I think higher education for me is a way to change the world. Everything from the issues of social justice to medical research to, you know, finding a cure for cancer. It's going to happen at a university. And, and I, I love that. You know, I, I, 
when I think about the future, you know, even though 2008 was so crazy, if you start to look back, back at it from a 100,000 foot level, it affected a lot of people, but it affected a certain amount of people. And the interesting thing today with the, or I think one of the differences with what we're going through right now is that it affects everyone uh, because it affects everyone in terms of social distancing. It affects everyone in terms of lockdowns. It affects everyone in terms of even to the finance part of it. So it'll be interesting to see how and where we come out of this and reflecting back on our conversation from a few minutes ago, what does the fall look like? And, you know, and if I had that crystal ball, really, that would be the question that I ask, what does fall look like? And, you know, for a lot of us and like your institution, we don't have football at Lander. You're still undefeated, right? (laughs) We are undefeated since 1872. So, um, what does a tailgate look like? What does, you know, what does the stadium look like? I'd love to know. And, you know, in terms of the answer to that question that you asked, I know it's a long answer, but, you know, it's very different than it was three months ago, because I probably would have said, you know, my big answer would have been staffing and, you know, and how do we retain the, how do we find good people and how do we retain them? And, and while this is trending, you know, that question hasn't changed a lot in the last few years. And, um, finding a way to, to train our people, to help them stay in the business, um, but also as bosses and managers to, to keep them in the business and, and give them the skill sets that, that they'll need to be successful, whether they want to be, you know, if they want to be a fundraiser or they want to be a vice president. Mike, you've been a great leader in our profession. Uh, you've uh, made an impact everywhere you have been throughout your career. And I'm grateful for you making an appearance on the Alumni Trending Podcast. Thank you. You're welcome. I'm just really happy to be here with you today. And uh, again, let's, uh, let's hope for the best for next fall. Are you looking for new ideas to recharge your batteries and be inspired? That's what we hope to do with each episode of Alumni Trending. Stay on trend and be a trendsetter yourself by connecting to Alumni Trending on our website at alumnitrending.com. Tell us what you want to hear by sending us an email at paul.clifford at alumnitrending.com. You can subscribe to the Alumni Trending Podcast on your favorite podcast player or just visit alumnitrending.com to subscribe today. You can also follow the podcast and become a fan on your favorite social media platforms. You can find Alumni Trending on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Tweet your reactions to the show at Alumni Trending. Connect with other listeners on Facebook and LinkedIn today. Just search for Alumni Trending Podcast on your favorite social media platform. Do you have a show idea or are interested in being a guest yourself? Feel free to send me an email at paul.clifford at alumnitrending.com. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Alumni Trending Podcast. Tune in next time for part one of a two-part series with John Fudo the Vice Chancellor for Advancement at UMass Lowell. Thank you for listening and staying on trend with the Alumni Trending Podcast.